Good to see you all tonight. We are over in Galatians chapter 3, of course, over at verse 19. We've been looking at all the things that the law cannot do. The law can't do this. The law wasn't intended to do this. All these things that it wasn't to do. So it kind of leads us to the question that Paul starts off with here is, why in the world was the law given? Why did we have a law? So in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. So here's the purpose of the law. First off, it was added. We went over this before. The, the covenant was made Many years, many, many years before the, the uh, law was given. So therefore, you cannot change a covenant 400, 500, whatever number of years it is afterwards. You just can't do it because Abraham wasn't there anymore and the two parties weren't going to be around. So the covenant could not be changed. So the law is not added to change the covenant. The law is not added to bring anyone in salvation because it could not. All it was there to do was to point the way. This is the way to salvation. You guys are on the way to hell. Get off this way. Go over to this way. But too many people were stopping at the signpost and saying, oh, this is what we need to do. Just stay here. But it was added because of transgressions. Now, this is not the normal word for transgressions. Most of the time we see the word transgressions or sin in the word of God. It is the Greek word hamartia, which means sin offense or basically missing the mark that I come up short. That's what it's mostly meaning. But this one is the word that means the violation or a breaking of law. So what he is saying that it is added because not because we were missing the mark, not because of uh, uh, of offense that we were offending God. It was added because we were law breakers. We had broken the law. That's why it was added. Not because we missed it, not because we came up short, but the way the Jewish Leaders were teaching the people was you come up short and therefore keep up the law and you'll be okay. And we still have this mentality today. I don't think it's just them. We still think I'm not as good as I need to be. Therefore, I will make myself better. I'll go to church more. I'll read the Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll do good deeds for people. I'll think good thoughts. I, don't, I won't steal. I won't lie. And if I do all these things... I'll, I'll be more on, in line with what God wants me to do. And that's not the case because the reason law was given was not because we came up short. It is because we are lawbreakers. And if you are a lawbreaker, then a new law cannot help you. Is what he's basically saying. So that's, that's why it's important that he uses this word. This word means you are lawbreakers, not miss, missing the markers. We are lawbreakers. We have missed we have, we have missed it. We have, we have come short. We have broken the law already. The law has come to point it out to us. You are a lawbreaker. Lawbreakers deserve punishment. Therefore, the law is to point us to the way to avoid punishment and to get on with God. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, because we have broken the law. Till the seed should come. The seed is Jesus Christ because the promise was made not to seeds as we saw last time. It was made to the seed. 
which was singular, which is Christ. So the promise to Abraham was made to his seed, singular, not his seeds, plural, which would mean the race of people. The promise was made to one, and all who would come of that one would come of the promise. So that's why he spent so much time working on, on that aspect of it. The law was given to point to the fact that we were lawbreakers till the seed should come. So it came after the promise was made, and the promise was made to Abraham's seed. The promise came years later. The law comes, but it's only given for a time until the seed, Christ, should come. And all of the law, we saw the, the formality of the law, all of the sacrifice of the law, many of the uh, uh, feast, all point to the fact that Christ was coming. The Messiah was coming. And this is what this, the law's purpose was. It was to point to the Messiah's arrival. And what Paul is saying is, he's arrived. The time is over. We don't need that anymore. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, there's other places that get into this more detail than, um, than here. But what we have is the mediator is who? The mediator the, uh, that he's speaking of here, actually, I'm sorry. The mediator he's speaking of here is the mediator of the law. Who is the mediator of the law? Moses is the mediator of the law. But Moses, as is pointed out in other places of Scripture, is an imperfect mediator. Because a mediator mediates between two parties. He listens to one and he listens to the other. If you have a dispute between a labor union and the employees, if you get a person to mediate who is one of the, the management of the labor unions, how's that going to go? Well, the folks in the labor, the management is going to love that, but the employees, huh? We don't, we don't like that. We don't want someone from management over here. We don't think that they'll be tied in with our concerns. And if they get somebody who's... Uh, one of the, the, the workers will get him to mediate. What's the management going to say? No, we don't think they're going to be tied in with art. They're going to be all one-sided. So a mediator has to mediate between two sides. In order to mediate between, between two sides, you must have a stake in both or be completely removed from both. That's the only way you can do it. If you are not totally and completely removed from both or have a stake in both, you cannot mediate fairly. And you won't be seen by either side. And neither side would agree. We're not going to have you mediate because you're going to side with them. You're going to side with, with those folks. You're part of, you are those folks. And, and we don't see that you're going to be able to come to a, an honest decision. So what he's saying here is a mediator mediates between parties. But here's the problem. If you're going to mediate between Man and God, God is one. God is one. How can you get someone to mediate and represent God and someone to represent man if God is one? How are you going to do that? You've got a problem now. So when the law was given, it was given by Moses, but he didn't mediate necessarily. He received. But he's called the mediator because he went between the people and God. And he received the law, but did he have any input in the law? He had no input at all. All he did was he sat there and God said, all right, this is it. You're going to do this. You're not going to do that. 
You'll be blessed if you do this. You'll be cursed if you do that. This is how I want the tabernacle. This is how I want the sacrifice. This is how I want the altars. This is how I want you all to, to do. He just gave it to them. And Moses just received it and brought it on down to the people. All right, this is what God said. <laughs> this is it. So there's no mediation involved with that. So in order for us to get a mediation going on, something has to happen, which is why the promise is made to a seed, which would be, or which would involve God becoming man. And now he's got a stake on both sides. And now God can mediate on both sides because he's both God and Man. Amen. So Jesus Christ was the only one who could possibly mediate this. But Jesus Christ, until he became the seed, could not mediate. So the promise is made for the time future when Jesus Christ would qualify as a mediator by becoming a man. He would therefore still be God but then would also be man, and therefore he could step into that role. So that's what he needed to do. This is why he is the one who qualifies to open up the seals. Because he said, they looked around. We've got to find some, someone who's worthy. Who's worthy to, to open the seals? Who's worthy? Well, God's there. How can God not be worthy? Because it was a worthiness that involved, you need, this is a punishment upon man. God has decreed it. God has already written it. God, God wrote it. Sealed it up. Who's going to open the seals? Well, in order to open that seal, it has to be not only God, but man. Because the punishment is coming down upon man. And Jesus was worthy. Because Jesus had come down on this earth, and he became our sacrifice, and he gave us a way out. And he said, if you believe in me, I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to pull you out of this tribulation period, and you won't be here. He gave them away. So Jesus was the one who was worthy to do it. He was the guy who could step into that role. But here we see that he was the better mediator. Because he didn't, Moses, all he could do was receive the law. Therefore, the law was imperfect because it could only represent one side, which is God. But Jesus came out and Jesus said, no, I can represent both because I have been a man. I overcame sin. I died on the cross for them, but I'm still God. <clears throat> Glory to God. Amen. That's why, that's why when you see these, these folks who want to say, well, Jesus, it's not important that Jesus was born a, of a virgin. It's absolutely critical. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he could not be the salvation for man. Because the sin nature was inherited through the seed of men. So from the beginning in the garden, it was called the seed of the woman. Thereby bypassing the inheriting the sin nature. Now, he could still pick up the sin nature if he sinned. But he went through life and didn't sin. Therefore, he didn't pick up the sin nature. And when he died on the cross, he could take our penalty. So he was the, he was the better one. So this is what Paul is trying to say. That you're, you're trying to go after something that is inferior. It can't help you because no man negotiated it. It was just dictated by God. And then, of course, by this time, they had added all kinds of other things to it. To make it even harder. All right, you have a hard time following after those couple of hundred laws that God gave you. And the, because he gave more than ten. So we're going to add to them. We're going to add a couple hundred more to help you keep those ones that God wrote. Yeah, appreciate that. And, uh, and then they came up with, uh, with things like, well, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Because you can't work on the Sabbath and you can't, uh, you can't carry stuff on the Sabbath and you can't walk so far on the Sabbath and all these things you can't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus just came out and said, 
The Sabbath was made for man, folks. Not man for the Sabbath. That's how it was. And, and they, of course, had, had gotten off it. They missed the whole purpose of what was going on. And that's what they're doing here. So, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not med- uh, mediate for only one, but God is one. So, it's because of transgressions, not promises. The law was given because of transgressions, not promises. The covenant was given for promises. The law was not. So you cannot inherit or pursue the promises through the law. So again, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So um, let's go on to verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, the law was given. Is it against the promises of God? The promise of God was made to Abraham's seed, which is Christ. So is the law against it? Did God put something in operation that is against it? Is the law then against the promise, the promises of God? He says, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. I paraphrase this this way. God is so good if it was possible for righteousness to come from a law, then the law he gave would have done it. But he's saying this, even a law that God gave is not possible to get righteousness through it. So if God, in the laws that he gave, it is impossible to get righteousness through, how can you even think that the ones that men have added afterwards could do anything? That's really what he's, he's, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but I, I think that's pretty much what he's getting at. If God, as good as God is, as great as God is, if God gave a law and that law could not bring about perfection, if that law could not bring us to the place of promises, if that law could not bring us to a place of righteousness, then all these other laws you added to help us get there, how much can they do? He says it's not going to do a thing. And how many laws have we added? We've added all kinds of laws. We have things in our thinking that we think we ought to do, but there's nothing in the Bible about it. I still think I ought to do it. What are you going to get from that? Well, I think that God will be happy. We talked about it before. There is no testimony out there yet where someone got up and said, at least they're, I mean, they may think this, but no one has ever been bold enough that I know of to get up in church and say, God blessed me on my job because I didn't wear any makeup that day. (coughs) Has anybody ever said that? But a lot of times we think it. You're wearing makeup. You know, God won't bless you with that. Right? You're, 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 you're. Skirt's too short. Your hair's too long. God can't bless you with that. No one got up and gave a testimony. I cut my hair, and the next day I got a job. Nobody ever got that. I've never heard that testimony. But we still have that in our thinking. (laughs) We still have it in our thinking. And even sometimes if we do something according to the law, and something good happens, then we get up and we think, well, it's because... We may not say it to people, but we still think, well, it's because I was spending an extra hour in prayer. That's why God did it. No, it's not. How does God answer prayer? By faith. That's the only way he answers prayer. It's by faith. It's not by how much. One time, go through all and just go home tonight and sit down and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read all of them. You can do that before you get to bed. <laughs> just go ahead through and read all of them, all the Gospels, and you define one place 
where Jesus came up to somebody who wanted healing and they said, I, 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 my daughter is sick and she needs to be healed. Were you in synagogue on Sunday? Saturday for him, but you know the idea. Hey. Now, in fact, you know what? You missed the last three weeks. You, you go to church next week and then you come back and see me. He doesn't do that, does he? But don't we have that attitude? Well, so-and-so lost their job. Yeah, we haven't seen them around here much either, have we? Don't we think that? We have got a law mentality, even though we can read this and say, those silly Galatians. <laughs> well, we still have that same mentality. We have to get rid of it. Because as long as I approach God in the vehicle of a law, I cannot approach him in the vehicle of faith. I want to say that to you again because I want you to get this. As long as we approach God through the vehicle of a law, I cannot approach him through the vehicle of faith. I cannot do it. Because if I approach him through the vehicle of a law, then whatever I receive, I receive because I earned it. But faith doesn't work that way. So I have to get that mentality out of my thinking. And I have to just receive from God by faith. Because God loves me. Because God promised. But this is what happens with Christians. We're, we're going along and we, we see, I need something. I need a healing. I need a financial miracle. I need something. I need God to work in my life. I need God to show up. And I go to God and I see his promises. And his promises are, if you do this, if you will honor me, if you will uh, if, if you, uh, serve me, I love you, I'm going to help you. And I see that as a man. God loves me. God loves me. And I get meditating on that. I find that God loves me. God loves me. What's God going to do when he loves me? God wants to pour out blessings on you. God wants to help you. How did, how, does God really want to heal me? Does God really want to do it? And we go through the word of God and we find out I'm willing to be cleansed. We go through the word of God and we find out he, they brought multitudes to him that were sick and he healed all the ones that he wanted to. No, he said he healed them all. He healed them all. Every single one of them. And I find out how good God is. And so I come to God and say, Father God, I just thank you for the, uh, the promises of faith. And I just believe that I received the thing that I'm praying. And what's the devil come along and say? How can you ask God for that when you still hate your mother? When you still hate your neighbor? When you despise your boss? How can you ask God for that when you still are this way? Oh, that's true. And I know it's, I know I, I, I'm not walking the way that I shouldn't love. Yeah, that's probably, I need to get over that first. And then I can ask God for that thing. What have I just fallen into? I've fallen into a law. But it sounds right, doesn't it? Doesn't, I mean, doesn't God want me to walk in love? Surely he does. What if he went up on the coffin and he's getting ready to raise the guy? For the, remember the, 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 the widow woman? She's following behind the coffin, and he's, uh, her son is dead up there. And he gets up in the coffin, and he's getting ready to pull him out. And he says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Uh, woman, I perceive that you hate your neighbor. Do you think it was possible that that woman had unforgiveness toward anyone? Do you think it was possible that that woman was not walking 100% in the things of God? Does Jesus ask her one time? The man who's dead in the coffin, does he find out, you know what? I wonder what you did to miss God that you died. I have to deal with that first. Huh. Now, there is a time when Jesus had to 
man who was lower down in front of him. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. I'll see. Now, we have to go through the law. No. Did the guy ask for anything? But he knew it was a hang-up for him. Did he ask what his sins were? No. He just said, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody got upset. <coughs> Who is he that he's forgiven sins? And he says, well, I'll tell you what. What's harder to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? Tell you what, just to show you, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. The man took up his bed, walked. They still didn't take that, did they? Why does Jesus say that then if that has no bearing on it? Because it has a bearing on you as long as you think that sin is keeping you back from receiving from God, it will. And that's why the devil throws it in there. Because he keeps you out of faith and in the law. And you cannot approach God through the law. You approach God how? By faith. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if it had been, for if there had been a law given that could give, have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. Basically he's saying this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. All. We know what that word all means, don't we? We've studied it before. We've heard you know, study, word studies on the word all. All means all. All. Every, every single one. So it means all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of them. Every single one. So Scripture said it. All have sinned. But the Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Not to those who keep a law, those who believe. So, you see, when we get armed with this, when the devil comes and begins to remind us of our uh, failings, he begins to remind us of the things we've come short on, what do we do? Sit there and say, I was a sinner. I am now a believer. As a believer, I've received the promise. I have the righteousness of God given through Jesus Christ. I don't wear my own righteousness. I wear his. You can point out my shortcomings all day long. It doesn't matter. The robe I'm wearing is his. That's what we've got to remember. But as long as, the devil, as long as the devil can, he's going to try and get in our thoughts to get us to think of ourselves as sinners. Because his power is to sow a thought, to deceive us, to pull us into another realm. And God says, here's the word of God. And this is why Paul is so strong with the Galatians. I gave you the gospel. I didn't give you the law. I gave you the gospel. I gave you by faith we receive righteousness. By faith we receive the promise. Why did you leave that to go after this? That cannot help you. And I am shocked that you would do it. And he's very stiff, very, very, very strong with them. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Before faith came, what, what does he mean by before faith came? Did Abraham have faith? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that in the past? Did Joshua have faith? Did Caleb have faith? Did Enoch have faith? How many people, David, did David have faith? 
How many people in the Old Testament had faith? Hebrews 11 is filled with a whole bunch of people in the Old Testament had faith. But he says here, before faith comes. What does he mean by that? He means before the seed comes for whom we should have faith in. So before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Now he says before faith came. He's using the past tense, isn't he? Because Christ is before this. It wasn't that long, but it was still before this. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So the law came, again, to to separate these people. I'm going to have you do things that will keep you separate from the world. That's going to set you apart. I'm going to have you be circumcised when the rest of the world is not. I'm going to have you do sacrifices in a way in which the rest of the world does not do them. I'm going to have you keep feasts in which the rest of the world does not keep feasts. I'm going to have you do things to keep you a unique people that you are kept under guard by the law so that all people would say, oh, those are the Jews. And so you basically had two groups of people in the world, even by the, 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 race, the, the folks in the world. This is their, they saw the, the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews were kept separate. The law kept them separate. They were not to eat what everyone else ate. They were not to do what everyone else did. And this was not to bring them to a point of salvation. It was to keep them separate from the world. To keep them under guard until such time as faith would come, which is Christ. And when Christ came, he says, now that guard is no longer needed. But faith has come and the spirit of God is now released to actually inhabit you. And so what will make you a peculiar people, what will make you a unique people, what will separate you from the world is not the rights that you keep, but the spirit on the inside. And that makes you unique to the world. We don't need that anymore. That, doesn't, that kept you under guard. That kept you unique from the rest of the world up until the time that Christ came. When he came, now the Spirit of God inhabits your heart. The Spirit of God inhabits you on the inside. Because sin has been done away with. And the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. And because of what Jesus did, he says it's imperative that I go to my Father. Because if he does not go to his Father, the Spirit does not come And we are not made a unique people. The word of God says you are a peculiar people. You are an unusual people. And what makes us unusual is not the laws that we keep, but the spirit of God on the inside of us now. And as long as we keep to being a unique people by the laws that we keep, we stay under the old covenant. We stay under the old, the the old guard. And he says, you're not supposed to be under that old guard anymore. You are to be here in the new area, the new place. And so this is why he goes into this next section. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It's merely a tutor. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the law was our tutor, not our savior. For a lot of people, the law is their savior. It is not. It is your tutor. Verse 26. Now look at what he launches into here now. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He's writing to who? The people at Galatia. 
which are predominantly, this church is made up of Gentiles. There are some Jews in it, but it's predominantly made up of Gentiles. So he's saying you are all, no matter what your nationality, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is nothing outward that is to separate the peoples anymore. What is to separate the peoples is what is on the inside. The Spirit of God that brings us into faith. The Spirit of God that grows us up spiritually. The Spirit of God that teaches us what God would have us to do. The Spirit of God that would lead us. That is what is to to make us a unique people. No longer Jew or Gentile. No longer slave or free. No longer male or female. He's just taking some of the bigger uh, segments of society at that time. We've got other, other segments of society that we're on now. And put it in your outline this way. There is neither race or nationality. When he says Jew or Greek, he's basically saying this. We'll look at it more. We don't look at the word as Jew and Greek anymore. Or Jew and Gentile. We don't look at it so much that way. But he's saying this. It's no longer race or, race or nationality. That is not what separates people. It is no longer social position. Because that's another thing that people have to, to separate. Uh, then it was slave or free. Now it's, you know, upper class, middle class, lower class, blue collar, white collar, all the different things we have to, to classify people as far as their social order is concerned. So he says no racial nationality, no social position or gender. That's not what is to separate you as a people. What is to separate you as a people is what's on the inside. So he's talking about this that the law was a tutor. It was meant for a purpose. That purpose has been fulfilled. When Christ came, it's no longer there. I have a translation, and I'll fill in that other blank that I seemingly skipped over for you. I didn't yet. We just didn't read the scripture yet. I wanted to read you verses 25, 26, and 27 in the message translation, so I put it in your outlines for you because I wanted you to have this. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ-like, the fulfillment of God's original purpose. Now, what do you say to someone who uses an object for something that it was not intended? You can just think about it. You don't have to answer that. Just think about that for a little bit. Using something... For a purpose other than it was intended. If a, if a person goes down into a workshop and grabs a, a hammer and uses it to play in the mud, we would call that what? Foolish or childish. That's childish behavior. If you went out there and used your good china to go out there and make mud pies, is, is that a good thing? No, because things are made for a purpose. And when you branch out from the purpose for which the thing was made for, we are looked at as foolish or childish. Because a child often uses something for what it was not intended. 
They don't know what it was intended for. We have uh, our granddaughter. She likes to come over to our house. And she likes to play with our remote control because I don't have a normal remote control, as you might envision. I have a gadget remote control. And I love this remote control. And I can program this remote control to do exactly what I want it to do. And because I got tired of people coming in and said, how do I make the DVD work? And, you know, because you, you turn, how many of all know your, your, your TV anymore? It's got four or five cords coming out of it. One goes to the VCR and one goes to the DVD and one goes to the box that has the cable and one goes to the TV antenna and one goes over here and you got all these different things. And so I got a remote that all you got to do is say, I want to watch a movie. That's what it says. Watch a movie. The little button says, watch a movie. You hit the button that says, watch a movie, and it turns on the, the DVD. It turns on the TV. And it turns on the stereo system where the sound system will come because usually when you're watching a movie, you want good sound. And so we put it in that way. And it turns the TV to the right uh, uh, cord automatically. Just tells it, all right, instead of HDMI 1, we want to go to HDMI 2. And it does all that for you. All you got to do is point it at it. Now, the problem comes in with people using it is that you have to point it at it. And it switches its mode from TV to, D- to uh, DVD to uh, the t- t- telling the Yankee what it has to do. Well, it takes a little bit of time. It may take 10 seconds for it to switch between all those things and send out the different commands. Because it has to become a remote control for the TV, send out the TV signal, turn over into a remote control for the DVD, send out the DVD signal, turn over into a remote control for the receiver and send out the, that signal. And it won't do that in two seconds. So when you hit the button, you've got to point it at the TV and let it sit there for five to 10 seconds so it can do all its things. And if you turn it sideways... <laughs> then one of the signals isn't sent. And I'll hear this. It's not working. It is working. You just got to keep it pointed at the TV. But anyway, my, uh, uh, it has a screen on it and it lights up. And so my granddaughter loves this, that it lights up. She picks it up. You know, if you move it, it lights up. And it tells you the things that you can do and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, and she just likes it. It lights up. And so she would be carrying it around. She'd just be doing stuff and, and just hitting the button. All of a sudden, the TV's changing. <laughs> you know, you're, you're off into another TV. But it did not take her long. She's one year old. It did not take her long for her to figure out that this little, this little box controls that thing up there. And so she'll take that control and she'll point it at the TV. She'll point it at the TV. She'll push buttons. She doesn't know exactly which buttons to push yet, but she's pushing buttons. She knows this little box works that thing up there. <laughs> she's, she has learned that. But she doesn't quite know the purpose of it. I heard that. I wasn't, I wasn't around when this happened, but I heard that she had taken the remote control and she was playing with it and doing some things and left it somewhere and no one could find it. <laughs> so, you know, you can't turn anything on now. It's, over he just can't so they eventually found it but they but again you know she she was initially she was using this thing for things it was not intended to be useful because she didn't know any better she eventually learned what it was to, to be used for one year old learned what it was supposed to be used for she eventually learned that but when you use something for what it is not intended and dear god we all do it have you ever used a screwdriver to stir a can of paint it's not what it's intended for they make much better things for that. But if you can't find the other things, then what's going to work for you? You're going to grab the screwdriver. This is going to, going to be what's, uh, what's going to do. If you need to open a paint can, a screwdriver will work, right? But a paint can opener works better. You've got to have one, of course. paint can opener will work better. That's what you want, to, you want to have that. There are tools that are made specifically for certain purposes. And so you want to have those, those tools and those things and make sure that you use them right. I have a set of drill bits 
that generally cost a pretty penny. I mean, we're talking hundreds for the set. I found them uh, for what I consider to be a bargain. It was a little over 50 bucks. Most people wouldn't spend that for a set of, of, of uh, bits. You don't know what these things are called. They were, what these things will do. They're called Fosner bits. Anyone ever heard of that? It's a special drill. Very special. Very specialized in what it will do. One, for what it will do, there is nothing out there that will do what it will do as well as it will do it. Nothing. You, there is no replacement. If you need to do this, and what it does is, and they have everything from really small down to like an eighth of an inch to an um, uh, inch and a half, I think, is the, or maybe I probably have like two inches, two inches big, and they're large. They are big. And what it will do is it will carve out in a block of wood a perfectly circular hole with a perfectly flat bottom. Perfectly flat. Flat bottom, flat sides all the way around. To perfection. They will do this. That's all it does. But there are times when you need to do that. I hardly ever need to use them anymore, but I used to have to use them more often. But the problem with this is if somebody comes over and doesn't know the purpose of these things, they can get hurt badly because you cannot use this bit the way you normally would. How many of y'all know drill bits go into a drill? If you put this into a drill, you are looking at an injury. You will be injured. It's not a, you don't wonder about it. You will be injured. You will get hurt. How badly is, is up for debate. But guaranteed, you will get hurt. If you put this into a drill bit, and it will fit into a drill bit. It will fit. And if you use it freehand, you will get sev- very possibly severely hurt. There is only one place you can use a Fossner bit. Only one. And that is in a drill press. It is the only way that you can use these things. You would not know it looking at it. But if you do not use it in a drill press, you will be hurt. So you've got to know the purpose of the thing. What is the pur- if you get outside the purpose, you get hurt. Well, did you know, they'll ask you, did you use it in a drill press? Well, no, I didn't know I was supposed to. Well, next time you ought to read the directions. You ought to read what's going on. Read the directions. What's the purpose? What's the thing for? We've got a lot of people using the law for what is not intended and are getting hurt. And they're getting, they're getting damaged by it. You know, I know tools, and that's where I understand. God will teach me stuff, and tools will teach you and other things. One of the tools that scares most people who don't work with wood is a table saw. It scares a lot of people. Uh, If you work with wood for a while, it will scare you at first, and then it becomes the most comfortable tool you can use. It's it's extremely comfortable. uh, I'm very at home with it. And just about anybody who has a table saw who's used it for a while will take the guard off. They have a guard in there to keep your fingers from getting into the blade. And a garden there to keep the wood from kicking back at you. And if you know what you're doing, generally anybody who's used it will take the thing off. I, don't, I took mine off a long, long time ago. I don't know where it is anymore. We don't need it because I know how the thing functions. It's one of the safest saws to use in the shop. But if you don't know what it can do, you can get hurt. Because that thing is capable of taking a block of wood and throwing it at you at a, a, a faster than a car goes. <laughs> and it'll, it'll knock you in the gut. It'll, it'll cut you. It'll do some things. It can take your finger off. It can do all this sort of stuff. But, you know, you, you watch somebody who uses this thing. They'll take their fingers and they'll go within a half inch of the blade. And not, not even think of anything about it. Because you know how the thing functions. And you know what to do with it. And you know you're perfectly safe. Because that blade will not move. 
on a table saw, that blade will not move. Now, a miter saw, that's not the case. Miter saw, that blade's moving all the time. Radial saw, radial saws scare me. I have used them many times. Radial saws, when you are cutting with them, if you don't watch it, it will come at you. The whole saw. <laughs> the whole thing. You're cutting, you're going down in there, and you're going along, and all of a sudden it grabs the wood and it just jumps right at you. I don't have one of those in my shop. My dad used to love it. He had one. He had, I have what's called a sliding miter that I use, and a sliding miter works totally opposite of a radial arm saw. Instead of pulling it through the wood, you take it back in here and you push it through the wood. But it's still the same idea. You take the thing and you... you and, and that thing has scared me a few times. Because it grabs hold of a piece of... And it start, it'll come at you. It'll just... And it'll throw wood. It'll, it's, it's nasty. I love getting on a table saw. It's like, oh, finally, sanity. <laughs> it's all right. But you see, you've got to know the purpose of all the tools that are in the shop. And use them for the thing that they were meant for. And know what you have to do to protect yourself against them. It's the same thing with the law. If you do not know the purpose of the law, the devil can use the law against you and keep you bound up and keep you out of faith and keep you out of the promises of God because he's got you in the law. This is why Paul gets so upset with these folks in Galatia because they have let this in. He says, don't do it. Don't let it in. To use something given for what it was not intended for is childish. Or if you want to, you can put in there foolishness. But I'm going to put in there childish because this is what he gets into next. There are sons and there are children. The tutor is given to take a child and turn them into a man. Stop being childish or basically stop using a thing for what it was not intended. Because that's what a child does. They use a thing for what it was not intended. They'll take a very expensive piece of machinery. They'll take your phone. And they'll play catch with it. <laughs> right? That's, that's not what it was intended for. That's, we don't want it to be doing that. So uh, this is your uh, other blank in there outline. All are one in position. When he says you are all sons, we are all one in position, not one in sameness. We are not all the same, but we are one in position. The things that cause the differences are no matter. Because what is important makes us one. And what makes us one is faith in Jesus Christ. The law is used to divide. And since the purpose of the law was fulfilled at Christ, any function under the law today is outside of its purpose. And if you use the law outside of its purpose, just like a tool, you can get hurt. You can get hurt. Do not use what God has given for what it was not intended. Know its purpose. Put in your outline at the end here this. Guard the things identified with faith. Guard the things identified with faith. Find out what is it that, is, that the Word of God says is, is faith. Find out what it is that has to do with faith. Those are the things you need to guard. Those are the things you need to protect. I need to stay in the area of faith. I need to stay in the arena of faith. Brother Hagen used to always tell us, if you stay in the arena of faith, you will defeat the devil every time. His goal is to get you out of the arena of faith and get you into doubt, unbelief, law, whatever else. Whatever. He doesn't care. Whatever other realm he can get you into will work. Because as long as you are in that realm, he cannot defeat you. 
So he's got to do some things to pull you out. Oh, I sure can. There is neither race, nationality, social position, or gender. Oh, absolutely. Let's finish uh, our, our scripture here. We hit uh, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, it does not matter if you were born of Abraham, if you were born of Christ, if you have faith in the seed, then you are Abraham's seed and come under the promises made to him. And that's what he's uh, getting back to here. What a, what a lesson to learn. What a thing we, we need to get hold of. Because still to this day, people are trying to get us into divisions. People are trying to get us into laws. People are trying to get us to pursue God via doing the right thing, doing good things, sowing good works. When Paul says, it's by faith, folks. It's by faith. Works are great. Works are, are fine, but they don't get you saved. Saved people do works, but works will not get you saved. It's by faith. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to walk the way that you've called us to. You haven't just left us in this world all by ourselves. You've equipped us. You've empowered us. We want to walk in the way that you would have us to walk. To walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith, not by the law. To approach you the faith and belief of the Word of God. Not because we have adhered to it, but because we have become perfected in it. Help us to keep that in mind. Every time the enemy tries to remind us of our imperfections, we need to remind him of Christ's perfection. And that that perfection is what we wear and what qualifies us. Because we come through the seed by faith and therefore become part of Abraham's seeds. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.